Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 127, the November 1979 issue, on sale August 21st, 1979. And this one's titled The Quality of Hatred. Or The Power of Proteus, the Deadliest Mutant Alive. You got the power! Proteus would have been a better title. Yeah. The Quality of Hatred is kind of a dumb title. I feel like it must be some sort of a literary reference as the last one was. Yeah. Could be. Because, um, I don't know, there's there's really not much... Well, I don't know. There's not a whole lot of quality of hatred in this issue, but uh, I guess there's some hatred. But on this cover, we are faced with a man, presumably Proteus, who is walking his way through a pink cyclone or tornado or something that storm looks like she's whipping up and in the background wolverine nightcrawler and cyclops are trying to make their way towards proteus well you said everything that i wanted to say oh i apologize who did the cover uh no don't apologize it's good that you said everything all i was gonna say is boy this cover's pink (laughs) it is very pink uh this is a john Byrne terry austin cover yeah and it's uh well I don't know. I would also, I would actually take a Cockrum cover over this cover because it's kind of immemorable. I don't feel like John Byrne has found himself with his covers yet. Could very well be. Maybe he never will. I don't know. But uh, the as we open up this book, we see that the writer, plotter, penciler credit has switched back to Chris Claremont and John Byrne. John Byrne, maybe he was like, hey, I think I can add some help to this one, Chris. Or maybe now that like, you've got this story started, I want to get back on the plotting. <laughs> maybe the, or maybe he's like, "Hey, I've been helping out this whole time. Could you please update the credits?" Could be. Terry Austin is inking. Tom Orzachowski's lettering. Glennis Ween is coloring. Roger Stern is editing, and Jim Shooter is editing and chiefing. It's true. So we continue where we left off, which is exactly where the cover left us off. Uh, Proteus is approaching. Storm mm-hmm. and Storm is whipping up a storm, and Night uh, Nightcrawler is being held down by Wolverine, who can't reach him. And Cyclops is not in this panel, even though he was on the cover. So the cover kind of lied to us a little bit. I guess they felt like they needed Cyclops to be on the cover for some reason. He does have an important part in this issue. And in this cover, uh, on the cover, Proteus actually has some bodily recognition. Whereas in this front splash panel, he has no definition whatsoever. Just an outline. Well, the only definition on the cover is the eyes. Well, yeah, but there's also some lines indicating like the chest and maybe some musclers, muscles where the okay. arm is. But but there's nothing here. You're right. This is there's just definitely like some muscle definition. I'll give you that. Yeah, this is just blue. Just a blue, blue blotch of Proteus. Look out for that blue blotch. <laughs> It's the most dangerous mutant we've ever faced. It's Blue Blotch. You. Ah, uh, yes. So Storm is doing a little recapping for us. She's saying, oh, Mutant X is an energy creature, and she wants my body. He wants mine, and, and I'm trying to stop him, but he keeps coming closer to me. And, uh, you know, this is one of those internal monologues that Chris Claremont is so well known for. Mm-hmm. I, I like this one. This is an interesting issue for internal monologues. Some of them I like and some of them I don't, which I think is the strength and weakness of Chris Claremont. Okay. He relies on these a lot. 
and they don't always work. But when they do, they work really well. Yeah. I mean, so she's thinking to herself that she has no choice but to take off in the air, even though she knows that it is highly likely that Proteus will knock the wind out of her again. And he does. He warps reality, and she then finds herself flying into the ground. Interesting note. He says, trying to fly to freedom, my pretty blackbird. Blackbird is actually slang for, for a black woman. Really? Yeah, I didn't know this until I learned that the the, the Blackbird song Paul, that Paul McCartney wrote yeah. was about the civil rights struggle. Get out of here. I had no idea. No, I didn't know that either. There's there's not a Blackbird? Well, there is a Blackbird. I mean, that's what makes it a, a double meaning. But, oh, I see. Okay. Uh, you know, a uh, Blackbird in the song Blackbirds was referring to black women. Okay. So is it typically a negative or a positive slang. Well, it certainly was positive in the song Blackbird. Well, right. I don't know how Chris Claremont is intending it. To be. <laughs> well, that's that's always the curiosity when you when you read back on some of the older issues as to how they use language and how they treat folks. You know, I mean, look at that's some of why the. I bring it up. <laughs> look at some of the old Warner Brothers cartoons where they've got like Mammy in the kitchen washing dishes and she's ginormous oh and. And you're oh like, boy. and you're like, ooh, <laughs> this past is entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, some of those like early Tom and Jerry cartoons that they they can't air on television anymore because of all the racist stereotyping that goes on them. <laughs> yes, it's bad. Exactly, so, like collectors' items on Blu-ray and DVD. Yes, so I, I have to imagine that Chris Claremont had uh, all of the best intentions here. I don't know if it's negative or not. I didn't think anything of it, but I mean, it is. I guess it is. I actually didn't even. Obviously, I read it, and he says, "My pretty blackbird," but I kind of equated it to the fact that she's flying. And that she's got, like, this giant black cape on. And that could totally be. That is a perfectly acceptable... I was just adding, uh, sure, you no. know, a little background to, to something that I learned recently about the song Blackbird. That is an interesting factoid. It's a tidbit. There you go. A tidbit from Adam. Join us next week. <laughs> when yeah. I'll show you another of my tidbits. I'm running, <laughs> out. I'm running out of tidbits to show people. They've seen both of them. Adam, keep your tidbits covered. Nobody wants to see them. So a storm has crashed kind of into the ground. I think reality's warping around, but in this second to last panel on this page, it looks like she's clinging on to a demon. Proteus's powers are kind of confusing because he has the power to warp reality, but I can't tell. Sometimes it seems like it's in the person's mind that he's warping it around, and sometimes it seems like it's real. Right. I want to f say that it's in his mind, or in, he's making it seem like it's happening in their mind, but again, well, this I, seems I can't like be it's sure. in her mind, but right. later it seems like it's really happening. And I'll point that out when we get to it. Okay. So Nightcrawler wants to spring to action, so he invites Wolverine to do so, but Wolverine, he, I want to, Crawler. I'm trying to, but I, I can't. Yes, and this is this is very frustrating for Wolverine, as we will learn. Yes. Now, we as the reader, we think that maybe he's just stuck. Like, maybe Proteus has done something to make him immovable, but we'll find out more about that later. Yeah, we. I just assumed it was because the wind was too much. Exactly. As they, as they said at the last, in the last issue. But um, before Proteus can make his way to Storm, a shot rings out and... Uh, kind of shoots in between Storm and him. 
A bullet. It just missed me. A sniper, but where? Cursed this she-mutant. She's unconscious, but the storm she created still rages. I can't see a thing around me. As he gets older and, and his body starts to wither, his voice gets all crappy. Of course it does. So uh, it turns out that the person who is the sniper and who is shooting at Proteus is actually Moira McTaggart in her costume. And I notice now that her the spelling of her last name is now E-R-T instead of A-R-T. Okay. I and think it we... stays like this, I think, from here on out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because I think they were kind of flipping back and forth between that, weren't they? The A-R-T I, and the yeah. A-R-T. Okay. It was like they were in the... I also like the sound effects in this panel. Vip, vip, meow! <laughs> yeah, I can good. hear that. I can just hear it. We get a reminder that Proteus is her son. She thinks to herself that she loves the boy, but she loves the X-Men too, and she'll not let them harm... She'll not let Proteus harm them. And there's somebody over her shoulder coming coming up behind her. And she's got, uh, she's got Proteus all dialed in. Looks like she's about to shoot him in his neck. When that person who is Cyclops steps out of the shadows and says, Moira, no, what do you think you're doing? Cyclops, you bloody fool, you spoiled my shot. Interesting, her scope sight is designed to uh, hone in on uh, Proteus's energy form. So oh. she built a weapon specifically to be able to kill her son just in case. Or just shoot. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe just in case she ever wanted to wound him. It doesn't necessarily have to be to kill him. That's, that's true. But she is, in fact, intending to kill him this time, and Cyclops is taken aback a little bit by it. Yeah, so Cyclops is wondering if she's gone crazy. The X-Men are out to capture him, not killing, not, not to kill Mutant X. And Moira's like, what? I'm not an X-Men. I'm not playing by your rules. You don't know Mutant X. <laughs> and she sucker punches him with her the butt of her rifle into his gut and then and I can't really tell I guess he just falls over he and... yeah he doubles over cuz he's hit in the gut and then he hits his head on a rock which then knocks him out unconscious for some reason I thought she hit him twice but I guess not well and so she's mad she's also like thanks to your interference it may already be too late and that gives proteus the time to say well uh I got to go otherwise I'm going to get shot so I'm going to steal and this is the part of Chris Claremont that I don't like. Okay. This is Proteus speaking out loud to himself, telling us what he's about to do. The firing stopped. I need a new host body. I've almost burned this one out, but I daren't take one now. For the few seconds I'll need to possess any of these X-Men, I'll be completely vulnerable. The risk is too great. Better to run and survive. <laughs> La-di-da-di-da. I think that's kind of a trademark though of comic books is that you're there's only so much you can show in a couple of panels but i think we would get it nonetheless like specifically in this case if proteus were to run to the car and drive away i think we would get it we wouldn't need any oh, yeah, thought we would absolutely get it that's my point that's why i don't think it works in these two panels in, in... No, nobody does this and chris claremont just like overdoes it in these two panels, it's not necessary, but there are other cases where it's like, well, I've got two panels that I need to convey this idea. How am I going to do it? And a lot of times, not just Chris Claremont, but he does it a lot. They'll have oh, the, yes, he does. <laughs> they'll have whoever is in the panel kind of narrate exactly what they're doing so that you as the reader are like, okay. Although, it draws you into the action, and when it works, it works. Right. It just, I feel like... 
Chris Claremont doesn't know when it works or not and does it all the time. I Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think Chris Claremont ever not does it. Let's put it that way. He does do it a lot. Uh, I'll get, yes. And I don't think he stops. But <laughs> I, it doesn't bother me. I guess it doesn't bother me quite as bad as you. I mean, I guess I've always just accepted that people in comic books don't talk like people in the real world. <laughs> it only bothers me when they talk out loud and when they're telling us what they're doing and when it's unnecessary. Right. Like, like you said, if, if you got rid of these word balloons in these two panels, these panels would make just as much sense. Right. But I think as a writer, well, I mean, I guess he's, he's drawing on the, or he's writing on the pictures, right? Cause supposedly uh, John Byrne has already drawn these. So he, he could make this decision at this point to say, look, don't script this page. But I think yeah. it's difficult. Like when you're, the artist and the writer, you're like, when to do it, when not to do it. I think you, maybe you lose some of that objectivity. So you're like, man, let's just put it in there altogether. And plus, I'll also bet you that it's not also all his decision. I'll bet you the editor and the editor-in-chief are like, no, you can't have blank, blank panels there. We need content. That would, that's a good point. I, I don't know how much of uh, control Chris Claremont has at this point. Exactly. I, I, I Perhaps I'm blaming him a bit too much. <laughs> all right. Let's move on. Uh, but Moira, she has her own little um, uh, internal monologue, which is also not necessary. But she says uh, about Cyclops, he's all right. But when he wakes, he'll have a proper goose egg and his left ear. Sorry about that, lad. Truly, I am. Imagine if this whole page was unscripted. It would still work. <laughs> it would be like that issue of G.I. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, uh, so she takes off. She thinks to herself, this is something that she's got to do by herself. Her son's been heading straight south since she landed in Scotland. So she thinks she knows his final destination. She's got to be there before him and whatever the cost. She has to stop him. The rest of the X-Men reconvene uh, by Nightcrawler, Wolverine and Storm. I'm honestly a little disappointed that Phoenix is not thinking, oh, look, there are the X-Men over there. They look like they're struggling to pull themselves back together. I should really fly over there to see what's going on. You're, you're right. As you look at this panel, you're like, how do we as the reader know what Phoenix is going to do next if she doesn't narrate it? <laughs> no. Yeah. So Has she... Phoenix always been speaking with these like uh, scary word balloons? I think she's been speaking with scary word balloons whenever she's in her Phoenix costume, but I'd have to go back and look. Okay, so it's just like a, a Phoenix incarnate sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. She wasn't doing it last issue when she was just talking to Moira. No. Or that was two issues ago, I suppose. I'd have to look back, and that's, that's all the way, you know, so far back in this book. And, and the I random know, pages that I'm flipping to uh, don't show... The show is so demanding on us. I, <laughs> I lose exactly. like a year every time I do a show. I, I don't have the time to do this. I've got uh, autographs to sign and what? No. Uh, so they uh, reconvene. Looks like uh, Banshee is making hot cocoa for the group, which is kind of silly. That's that's all he that's all he's got left he can do. It's Lorna is bandaging up Storm's arm, but. Storm's costume is designed in such a way that she has to practically disrobe. <laughs> she looks like she's like, it looks like she's bandaging up her boob. It does. She's actually holding together the front piece so that it doesn't fall off <laughs> while Lorna bandages her up. That's actually kind of funny. So they kind of debrief a little bit. They talk about Moira. Don't, uh, Cyclops is feeling like an amateur. Um, Cyclops randomly throw, or I mean, sorry, Colossus randomly throws out, I do not understand, friend Kurt. What happened to you? 
Wolverine is sitting in the background with his head in his hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess he's drinking a cup of hot cocoa, but he could just as easily be smoking a cigarette. I think he was drinking some hot cocoa. Definitely. In the next two panels. Oh, yeah, he is, because he is in the next two panels. He's got the cup. Cyclops looks over, and he's like, well, whatever happened here, Wolverine is shaken. Uh, He's close to breaking. If he doesn't snap out of this funk, he will be permanently gun-shy, which is weird, because that's definitely not the Wolverine we know. Right. I feel like this was a, this is like supposed to be a turning moment for Wolverine. Right. Um, but it wasn't, it, we we don't quite have the feeling that Wolverine is as shaky as they present him here. He continues, Cyclops continues to think to himself, for Wolverine, that's a fate worse than death. And then he says out loud, you've been pretty quiet, short stuff. And Wolverine is all shaky. Hey, nothing to say. I don't know. As I read this, it just felt like they needed to burn a few pages because, uh, spoilers, this is a three-part issue, a three-part story. This is definitely burning through a, through a few pages. But this next sequence is another example of this Claremont inner dialogue thing mm-hmm. that I think works really well. How do you mean? Well, as we continue, uh, we see that Cyclops decides he's going to pull some shenanigans on Wolverine and and uh he says a word to uh Nightcrawler I think the runt's faking then he pushes Nightcrawler aside and he dumps his hot cocoa in Wolverine's face which could be potentially dangerous yeah but uh he he basically starts a fight with Wolverine don't forget you Night- locked horns from the beginning Wolverine it's time things were settled that is if you're not too scared to fight. Don't I mean don't forget we get a little bit of a German lesson where Nightcrawler after he gets pushed is like, "Are you verrückt crazy?" Verrückt. I don't know if we've done that one before, but there it is, folks. And in typical dialogue uh, uh style, we get the German word and then we get the translation afterwards, which is actually correct this time around. Crazy. Um <laughs> that is pretty verrückt. <laughs> and uh, he also, yeah, Cyclops also calls him gutless. He's either faking or gutless. And I guess, so the whole point here is that something spooked Wolverine, definitely something to do with Proteus. But if anybody was paying attention, then that means that the last issue's classic X-Men makes no sense. Right. <laughs> because last issue's classic X-Men was Wolverine fighting against this tough guy, stereotype improving that once and for all from the core of his body to the tops of his claws he is in fact tough he's not just in name but in body but to go from that like i made it to you bub and i'm tough and nobody can take that away from me because i did it to come to this where he's like i got i got no 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 nothing to say to you it's kind of like nobody was paying attention when they wrote that last story it's just, yeah, I, I you know, <laughs> yes. you know my stance on the classic stories. Oh, no, no, I agree, I agree. I need not repeat it. <laughs> so, anyways, moving on. Uh, so, Wolverine plays right into Cyclops' plan and attacks him. Bub, the day I'm scared of you is the day I'd better lie down and die. And that's when we get, pretty much from here on out, Cyclops alternates between thinking his strategy and speaking out loud his taunts to his teammates. And he does say, uh, you're the man who is going to replace me as the X-Men's leader, Wolverine. Don't make me laugh. When was he going to take over leadership of the X-Men? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> um, maybe there was like a a brief panel 
a couple of issues ago where Wolverine said, I can do a better job than you. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I just don't recall seeing that. But, well, anyways, so they continue. Maybe, maybe so this is just a piece of Cyclops' like, insecurity coming out. They all want my job. Every one of the <laughs> Banshee, you want to leave the X-Men too? Well, come take it. <laughs> you man enough? Boy, I'm, I'm just like, going to do what I do best, says Wolverine, and slashes at uh, Cyclops, who ducks out of the way. Yikes, that was close. And then he says out loud, you're a slow shrimp and moving like you're half asleep. The rest of the X-Men are like, what the hell is going on here? At least Banshee and Colossus and Nightcrawler. Jean apparently has gotten the heads up from Cyclops because Cyclops let her read his mind. So she knows what the plan is, but she, apparently there's no time for her to tell the X-Men. No. Well, I guess maybe part of the plan is to keep it to herself. Yeah, actually it might be. But uh, that's when Cyclops is able to use his skills of geometry to bounce his optic beams off of Colossus and into Wolverine's back, rather than just shooting him in the chest. <laughs> it seems like a very Rube Goldian attack, but he does it. it it's regardless. almost like he's just trying to piss everybody off. <laughs> just showing off, like, hey, hey, look what I can do. I mean, we know this probably isn't going to hurt Colossus, but at this point, if you're Wolverine, you're like, what? <laughs> you can't do that to me. And then Wolverine says a classic, ow! <laughs> And Cyclops continues to taunt him like you're a Cub Scout. I could, uh, or a Cub Scout could beat you to a pulp. But he's also thinking, but he's thinking to himself, I can't slow the pace even for an instant. I gotta keep hitting him hard and fast, and never the same way twice. My only choice is to keep continually, keep him continually off balance. Too confused and angry to think about what he's doing. That's cool. I like it. Yeah, that's all good dialogue. And then you know he keeps taunting him. Calling him Shorty, blah, blah, blah. He throws him at Nightcrawler. Now things get real hairy, but I can't quit until I've tested every X-Man who faced Proteus and tested myself as well. So yeah, Cyclops, he... no, what are you doing? Uh, and so he is able to teleport out of the way. And he teleports on top of Wolverine, or I mean Cyclops. He also thinks to himself that, is it possible that Proteus has taken over Cyclops? Yeah, it's possible, I guess. It's possible, however unlikely, given that <laughs> yes. Cyclops knows all these intimate details of the X-Men. And But I guess they don't know the extent of Proteus's powers, and neither do we at this point. So anything's possible. So Nightcrawler teleports on top of Cyclops and is about to land on him for the attack. But Cyclops is like, Nightcrawler, how many times have I told you this stunt leaves you wide open? And he blasts Nightcrawler away. Without any sound effects, it's a silent blast. Ooh. And that's when Storm is like, enough, I do not know why you've turned against your friend Cyclops, but I will not stand idle and see them hurt by anyone. Lightning bolt, Storm means business, but so do I. I've got to keep rolling, let her think I have her bolts kept me on the run, and then let her have it. The cow. So she shoots, shoots at her feet. She gets hurt, apparently. Oh. <laughs> and then he decides he's going to quit. Oh, <laughs> I, peace, I surrender. All right, guys, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Just kidding. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, and that's when Wolverine is like, no way, Summers, you ain't getting off that easy. Proteus is still on the loose, mister. If you want a rematch, it'll have to wait. For one Cyclops, my anchor matches Wolverine's. If Proteus is so important, why did you stage this insane battle? Proteus gave you three a pretty rough time, Aurora. 
You're all relatively unhurt physically, says Jean. This was God's way of making sure there were no psychological after effects. Yep. This was Cyclops's field danger room session. He says, I was most worried about you, Wolverine, and Wolverine agrees. You had good reason. Proteus spooked me, but good. You took a heck of a risk starting this fracas, boss. At the end, I wasn't joshing. I was in a killing mood. Almost crazy, man. I ain't thought much of you in the past, Psych, as a team leader or as a man. I was wrong. Let's hug. <laughs> so they hug it out, and it's awesome. Uh, so, I mean, it took a while for this whole fight thing to happen, but it is definitely a turning point for Wolverine and Cyclops' relationship. Yeah, it's 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 super important. I still feel like it doesn't really jive with Wolverine's character, but that's because I have too much information about the future. Well, it it was like Wolverine's lapse from being normal to being spooked was not very good. Right, I would agree. But whatever, in the in the effort of uh, storytelling, we'll we'll accept that. I guess <laughs> it, it got us to a place where we needed to go. Uh, so now they're they're back on the hunt for Proteus, but uh, it's going to be a challenge because uh, Gene can't find him because of his telepathic shields or whatever, and their portable mutant detector can't find him either. And uh, so what they're going to do is follow the bodies of his victims because Gene is able to detect uh, the, whenever she, whenever Proteus takes somebody over. Yes. Uh, what's interesting about this whole issue. Uh, so far is that while Havoc and Polaris haven't really had that much of a role, Havoc is in his costume and Lorna is in her street clothes. Yeah, it is it's rather strange. But, Where is Jamie Madrox during all this? Uh, last issue, they left him behind. Yeah, I know. It's just <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> I don't know. Well, he's not really an X-Man, so I don't know. Anyways, we uh, turn our attention, I guess, south to a woman named Jenny Banks, who is a sophomore uh, too much backstory. Who cares? This woman is fodder for Proteus. <laughs> <laughs> she got a flat tire, and and, she, and basically Proteus takes her over. Yep. His plan now, which is a good one, is like, well, the X-Men are going to be looking for a police officer in a police car or a Jeep, or I don't remember what he took. But now I'm a woman in a different car. They'll never find Hooray! me. <laughs> and he's going to go destroy, quote, one I hate, end quote. He who shall not be named. Essentially, yes. So speaking of the one he hate, <laughs> we flip. It was apparently in Edinburgh. We Yes, I wanted to say it. That's why I'm going to say it. Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it however you want to say it. No, I want to say it that way. Okay, Edin fair enough. That's That's how I want to say it, too. <laughs> We flip our attention to the residence or office space, I suppose, one of the two, of Joe McTaggart. It's true, a Royal Border Marine commando and uh, Moira McTaggart's husband? <gasps> the most beautiful man she'd ever seen. And yes, her husband. So she goes... Sure bet to one day become prime minister. Yeah, he's he's super important dude. So she shows up and I guess... I get really confused about Moira's age because apparently they were married, but they split up over 20 years ago. Oh, wow. So, I mean, even if they got married and she had a baby at 18, that makes her 38. But I mean, I guess, whatever. That's not that old. Well, she's the professor's, or she's younger than the professor, but she's older than the other X-Men. So 38 works. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. She's just, she's just always drawn young. I mean, she doesn't look any older than Jean. No, but that's because 
comic book artists typically don't draw kids or older people. Except for Joe. Joe looks like he's forty five years old. That's true. He's got well, he's got the the, the he's got uh, gray sideburns. His hair is not black or brown. It's kind of like a a peppery brown, uh, peppery black, or as best as you can illustrate that in a comic book. He's got tired old looking eyes. He's got you know kind of a weathered face. I guess I just feel like it's always the central characters that are of a certain kind of youth. Hmm. They're never too young or too old. True. True enough. They always kind of look the same. I mean, I'm thinking of like Jubilee and Kitty Pride. All these these kids are supposed to be younger, but yeah. other than being shorter, they they look the same age. Yeah. That always confused me about Kitty Pride, you know, because you read her stories and you're like, well, she's got to be, I mean, you don't really think about it, but I mean, the assumption is like she's 19 or 20 or 18, just like the rest of the X-Men. But then every now and then they'll be like, Kitty Pride's just 13 years old. And you're like, what? She don't look 13. <laughs> but anyways, so uh, Joe wants to know if this is about that divorce, it'll never happen. He could politi- He could use the political capital of being married to a Nobel, Nobel Prize winner. Right. So in other words, this guy's a dirtbag. He totally is. But that's when she drops the bombshell that when we said our farewells in New York all those years ago, you didn't just put me in the hospital for a week. I guess he was was a wife beater, maybe. You left me pregnant. You have a son, Joseph McTaggart. Oh, yeah. I didn't didn't make that connection. (laughs) I didn't. He he must have put her in the hospital, like, literally. Yeah. And may God have mercy on both of us. I believe he's coming to Edinburgh to kill you. Joe doesn't hear any of that. He's like, a son? I have a, a son? I have a son and heir? And you've kept him from me all these years? How dare you, woman? I. That's when she pulls out a gun and says, Not a move, not even a sound, uh, or I'll shoot you. And then she walks out. Well, she does. So that's it. She came to warn him and nothing else. Really? Yeah. Not... You've got a son. He's coming to kill you. See you later. Yeah. I, I want to shoot you, but I'm not going to. Goodbye. And uh, yeah, so she, she drives off and um, well, I don't know. I tried. Oh, God, I tried. And I failed then with my son as I failed now. And in the background, we see some spooky eyes poking from around the back of a red TARDIS. Yeah, I thought it was the fifth doctor. <laughs> so. Or uh, the sixth, rather. The did one he, with the fro. Did he, did, he, did, he, did he have a, the sixth doctor? Did he have a red TARDIS? No, none of them did. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I've watched a lot of Doctor Who. I don't remember a red TARDIS. <laughs> you don't remember the, the red TARDIS, man? Oh, that was a it crazy was so season. new and crazy. <laughs> now, I haven't seen all the Doctor Whos, but I'm pretty sure blue is the traditional color. I wish um, we've they, they've done this a couple of times in this issue now where Moira's talked about how much she loves her son and and everything. But nowhere in here is there any – I wish there was just, like, a panel or two panels of uh, – you know, when he was born, he was so beautiful and he loved me and he looked up to me and I looked down to him and I just wanted to take care of him and he just wanted to be taken care of. And, and then when he turned three, something happened, something unexplained. So just just a little bit more so that I could get the sense of the connection between them, because all I'm left with here is just to assume that, like, the baby came out and was, like, immediately evil. But because the baby was her son, she loved him. You know what I'm saying? Well, she does reveal that because she was so angry at Joe that as she raised the kid, the kid also became angry at Joe. Right. And so he has this kind of 
the the reason that this that Joe we find out is the one I hate is completely irrational. It's simply because his mother, who he loves, uh, hated him. So do you think that she was always like, "Oh, your father, Joe McTaggart, he was such a such a bad man. If you ever get the chance, you should steal his soul." I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I'm curious. Like, yeah, I mean, you make a good point. How how did this boy who presumably raised by moira mctaggart had some good upbringing how did he turn into such a bad egg yeah i don't know and i guess i mean i'll just say it right now like i feel no real connection or uh, empathy or sympathy for proteus he's 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 just like another cartoony villain who happens to have a somewhat interesting background but i still don't understand his motivations he just appears yeah. to be evil. But anyways, so yes, it's the the girl, Jenny, what's her face with the broken down car, who is now still thinking about the one she hates uh, and that he is, uh, I guess, again, he she senses or Proteus senses that Joe has hurt Moira again. Well, he sees her crying yeah. in the in the previous page when he's peeking around the TARDIS. And so Joe is calling the police apparently to report Moira and the gun incident, but he gets put on hold. Well, I was thinking that he was calling the police to get like an armed escort or something. Oh, one of the two. But uh, while he's on hold, uh, Proteus comes in and says, Human father, I need you. To which Joe says, Oh my God. And that's probably, well, that's probably about it. So Jean is meditating, floating in the air, which is pretty weird. Oh, I thought she was taking a telekinetic dump. (laughs) I could see how you could confuse that because it does look like she's straining. Guys, don't watch this. This will be Everybody turn away. This will be my second one today and the second one's always the hardest. (laughs) Cyclops is like, no wonder I'm into that Colleen person. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Cyclops points out to himself, I guess, that Jean's power has spotted Moira heading for Edinburgh. And that's where... I like how uh, Havoc and Lorna are in the background of all these panels, just kind of like, Havoc's got his arm around Lorna. They're just hanging out. They're like, why are we here? Yeah. It's like they needed to include them, but they had nothing for them to do. So I don't... It was John Byrne's fault. He just, yeah. Chris Claremont's like, why do you keep drawing them in there? (laughs) Could you, like, we don't need these two characters. They're not doing anything for us. I'm not giving them any dialogue. I refuse. <laughs> this is that brief period when they're on the outs with each other. <laughs> well, Jean, her psychic dump is interrupted when she, I think, hears the scream of death uh, that Proteus has taken another life. And that's when uh, Polaris I is like... I found Proteus. He killed again in my mind. I heard the same psychic death screen I picked up when he possessed that poor North girl. Girl up North. Uh, Lorna is so upset that she starts taking her clothes off. She's like, now it's time to change to my costume. <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is actually less amount of clothing than I was just wearing. <laughs> well, she's just taken off her sweater and presumably her pantsuit. Uh, yeah. So uh, they're off to Edinburgh, and uh, Jean carries all of the X-Men except for Storm, Polaris, flies, and Havoc. Who flies, and who doesn't fly? <laughs> the Havoc <laughs> panel is silly, because it's like Lorna's flying, and Havoc is holding onto her arm for dear life. <laughs> it's doubly silly, because like uh, Storm says, Jean, do you wish any help? And... Uh, 
Gene's reaction is, no, no, I don't need any help. I, I'm having no problem handling this load, which you got to think, you know, Polaris is probably having a little bit of trouble <laughs> carrying Havoc. Yeah, I mean, Havoc's not a fat dude by any means, so he's probably a good 140, 150. But uh, yeah, I mean, that would be a heck of a strain on her little wrist. <laughs> to yeah, be... so, so why doesn't Gene just, you know, do her the favor and <laughs> pick up her boyfriend? Yeah, who's... Look, Lorna, I understand what you're trying to do, and it's sweet. It really is, but let me get him for you. <laughs> I'll I think put, it's like I'll... John Byrne's extra effort to show that Lorna and ha uh, Alex are together. It could be. They're going to be together in every single panel. <laughs> They're a couple. Don't you get it? Chris, you can throw in some dialogue where they talk about how much they love each other. Chris is like, no, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Uh, Cyclops thinks to himself that he can't, he can't believe this. Moira mentioned that there was some sort of instinctive psychic break, circuit breaker that had chopped Jean's powers back to Marvel Girl levels, yet somehow she's carrying all five of the X-Men without any strain. That's true. Yeah. Well. We cut back to Queen Street, where Proteus, who has now taken over Joe, is, for some reason, attacking his mother. Right. And again, it's like... In that earlier panel, you're led to believe that maybe because of, like, all the crap Joe put that family through, even though he never met his father, that maybe maybe he's just, like, some psycho who's looking out for his mom. But here it's like, nope, I want to kill you now. Well, she says his manner his, and his voice have changed. So I feel like this takeover sort of didn't take exactly the way Proteus had planned. Oh, and so now he's got some of Joe's personality mixed into his? I think so. And they kind of discuss that, but not particularly. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they don't they don't nail it down the way that I would like for it to be nailed down. But mm, I think he says, confused, Moira, allow me to enlighten you. When I possess people, I absorb their memories, their emotions, as well as their bodies. I know all my father knew, feel all he felt. Never have I experienced such passion, such raw strength. This form will last me a long time. And uh, she, he, uh, Proteus turns her gun into a snake and she drops it. And he melts her car and turns it into a Dali painting and the world around her turns into a soft, bland paint material, it looks like. Kind of. And that's where the X-Men now fly in to, to, I guess, save the day and they spot basically the craziness of what Proteus is doing. So now now what Proteus is doing to reality is, in fact, reality. Yes, uh, definitely. I, I really like this panel of the, the top-down view of all the X-Men flying. <laughs> it reminds me of the Silverhawks for some reason. It's very silly, but I like how some of them have their arms up and some of them have their arms down. Yeah, well... Uh, so they, uh, Banshee's all distraught because, oh, blessed saints, the woman I love is fighting for her life, and with me sonic scream gone, I'm helpless to do anything to save her. Which I gotta, I gotta wonder, like, I like, I, I kind of like this whole idea that they keep Banshee around, even though his power is useless, because they're kind of like, maybe they feel some sort of, like, I don't know, uh, camaraderie or, or, or or sense of team with him. But I feel like in future X-Men, like as soon as an X-Man loses his power, it's like, meh. Well, right. I, I think let's just stay back at the Chris mansion. Claremont's going for like a long story here. So he's keeping Banshee around because, you know, presumably at some point they're going to deal with this whole loss of the power thing. But right now, 
Banshee only serves the purpose to remind us every issue that he doesn't have any powers. <laughs> that's literally all he does. And so that's why I'm kind of conflicted. On on the one hand, I'd be like, I'd rather them to be like, yes, we all like Banshee, but Banshee has his place. And that place is either back on Muir Island or in the mansion, but not in the middle of a battle. But anyways, we also get to point out from Cyclops that Banshee looks like he's in agony. And he does think, like, maybe it would have been better or kinder to leave him behind. So do you think it's Cyclops who's like, Banshee, I know you're powerless, but you got to come with us. Yeah, it was always been. I don't really feel like going with you guys. <laughs> I, I can't really do anything, you know, to help you. Nah, uh, come on, man. It'll be fun. Just like old times. Come on. I hear Moira's been captured. Ah, saints be praised, laddie. Maybe you'll start to feel a little better and use that old sonic scream, eh? Well, Cyclops calls it out to Colossus and says, Proteus can't stand metal, so you're the best form of attack we have. Go! And Colossus dives down and turns into metal and crashes right in between Proteus and Moira. So completely missing the mark. <laughs> His approach is as silent as death. His arrival, a complete surprise but, and a total waste. But utterly useless. <laughs> uh, so he cl climbs out of the crater that he creates and he's about to, uh, I don't know what he's going to do. It looks like he might be ready to lunge at um, Proteus. But that's when Proteus alters reality so that Sideways is down. Which is cool. Kind of. But how does that work? <laughs> He alters reality. He twists gravity 90 degrees, they say. Mm-hmm. So... And we know that this is not just in Colossus's head because there's a bunch of pedestrians that are, like, hanging on to the sidewalk and onto lampposts. So he just changed gravity. But then how come when the rest of the X-Men land, gravity isn't changed for them? So the way I see it, because we don't see Colossus again until the very last panel, is that as soon as his attention shifts from Colossus to the rest of the X-Men, he's unable to maintain that, uh, maybe? Gravity's back to normal, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe when Colossus is far enough away, he figures, I don't need to worry about you. Maybe. I do like this panel where Cyclops blasts at him and he turns all of his uh, blast rays into, like, pretty little flowers. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And uh, so Proteus continues to taunt them. Um... Phoenix. Oh, that's the best you can do, X-Men. I have nothing to worry about. When last we met, you escaped with your lives. This time you won't be so lucky. Phoenix jerks. gets in there and she's like, When we last met Proteus, you caught me by surprise. And even then my side powers nearly tore you apart. Say your prayers, butcher. And the only thing that I can look at in this entire panel are Phoenix's big, big nipple <laughs> somebody went way out of their way to make sure that that was included in this page is this like uh have we mentioned psi powers before uh i don't know that we've referred to them as psi psi powers right. I don't yeah know. i wasn't sure or not i think so this is it, the first time we're calling it out fans there you go <laughs> go ahead correct us we dare you yeah just try to correct us. We won't even listen. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so Proteus grabs Moira and basically says, if you do anything to me, I'll kill Moira. Moira's like, don't listen to him. My life is negligible compared to those of he'll destroy. And I got a little confused. Is, is Proteus like backwards skating on the concrete here i believe the concrete is moving underneath him and carrying him away okay it's like he's turning the concrete into waves 
and they're like scootling him away with some sort of awesome Scooby-Doo sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Uh, He also leaves the threat and says, leave me now, X-Men. Remember, a neck is such an easy thing to snap. Or consider this, push me too hard and I'll possess Myra as I did her husband. To which Sean freaks out and, husband? I've been duped this whole time, that two-timing bitch. (laughs) Why'd you never tell me this, lass? It is kind of a weird thing to admit, like, oh, we're hanging out, we're developing this relationship, I miss him, he misses me. Oh, by the way, I'm married. It doesn't matter, I have 20 years, oh, I have a kid, too. I got the impression that they were pretty heavily romantically involved, so yeah, it is kind of, uh... I do, too. It's like, why are all these people keeping all of these secrets? If I were Sean, I'd be like, I'm done with all of you. <laughs> what is going on with Moira's legs in the panel where uh, Proteus has first grabbed her, like around her neck? He's got his hands around uh-huh. her neck. Her her legs are, they look like marshmallows or something. Th- there's some weird inking going on, and I can't tell if that black spot that's making her hips look really weird and her leg look very balloony is supposed to be a shaded hip. Well, I think that's just the shadow. Uh, yeah, it's hard to tell. Like maybe maybe more is shaded than we realize. Because otherwise it just looks like she's really distorted. Yes. Well, maybe we can just chalk that up to some reality bending. She looks like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man from the waist down. She does not look good. Definitely. She looks very puffy from the, way down, from the waist down. Cyclops, what are we going to do? If we attack, we'll be sighting more Moira's death warrant, or worse. But if we let Proteus escape... We won't, Gene. Proteus is the kind of mutant Professor Xavier created when he created the X-Men to protect humanity against... I'm sorry, Sean, but Moira's right. Proteus must be stopped, no matter what or who it costs. And by the way, if you happen to forget that Polaris and Havoc are in this comic book, their heads peek out behind Cyclops's arm. <laughs> oh, hi, they, we're here. They weren't in the last two pages, but now they're back. Yep, yep. I think in the last panel they were just off panel because, you know, they're, they're right above his uh, left shoulder there. Yes, for every appearance of the X-Men, like when they fly in to meet Proteus, they're also off panel. They're off to the left. Oh, here we are. And then here they're off to the right. <laughs> so, well, and that's where we'll leave it, this issue, because this Next is... Next issue, because it's the action of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. Uh, Yeah. Well, it's the midpoint of this particular story. So maybe the next chapter is really going to tie everything together. And it's going to be the, oh, everything's come together. And this is an awesome story. But I, I doubt it. I thought this was good. It's it's good, but it's just it's not great. And and it's 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 hard to judge these issues because they are all so important to the canon and the lore of the X-Men. And they are all held within such high regard. But comparatively, along the lines of everything that we have read and what we are going to read, it's it's very, in my opinion, kind of meh. That scene where Cyclops decided that he would single-handedly battle all the X-Men made the issue for me. Really? You like that? Yeah. I certainly like the turning point. I mean, again, even with a quote-unquote bad issue, and I'm not saying this is a bad issue, there's still always like a nugget of like, here's here's a little bit of new information or here's a little bit of character depth. So I'll always appreciate that. So it's 
I don't know. It's like it's judging cake. Like there's no bad cake, right? There's just cake that's less good than other cake. I don't know, Jeremy. There's <laughs> fruit cake. Well, that doesn't count. That fruit cake's not really a cake. <laughs> but anyhow. <clears throat> so this in my opinion is just a less good story, but still it's good. And with that, we got some listener mail, eh? Yeah. Let's just get right into that. Am I supposed to go? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's up to you. I, you could go or I could go. We've got a letter from Peter Watson. Uh, he says, hi, guys. Just a quick comment on your podcast for X-Men 125 about Star Trek The Next Generation. It started in 1987, so it was well underway when the classic X-Men story came out. Okay. Which I think we had discussed when we were reading the classic x-men story i think we said something about is is star trek out at this point we were uh, off by two years so i think i said 89 but anyways yeah uh apparently marvel comic writer steve gerber uh of howard who created howard the duck and wrote man thing maybe created i don't know he he also wrote some avengers stories i think he wrote that beast story that we read too i think you might be right but, I don't remember. Uh, he apparently wrote for the show and established T. Earl Grey Hot, okay. which I believe I quoted in that episode. Cool. So keep up the good work, he says. All sort we will. All sorts of awesome information for us. Yes, we love random information about the random stuff that we talk <laughs> about. Uh, we also got a comment on the webpage. From Brandon, who says that uh, issue 109, which was actually issue 125, the same one that uh, Peter was talking about, was one of his favorites in a while, with the variety of hilarious voices making it worth more than one listen. Well, that's that was a fun episode to do. Uh, sometimes the issues lend themselves quite well to podcast, and sometimes they don't. It's true. We're very glad that to that we're making it worthwhile for people to listen more than once. That that warms my heart. <laughs> so if you'd like to join in on the action, uh, you can visit us at www.redcatproductions.com forward slash danger room or actually just xmenpodcast.com either way. Or you can go to uh, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. You can follow us on our Twitter feed at danger room go. Or you can go out to iTunes where sadly... The funny post has been removed, and we're not sure if that was done by the author or by Apple themselves. Honestly, I didn't find it that offensive. It was pretty funny, but no, I don't think it was offensive. Yeah. It was it was kind of a it, it was a it was a sort of a Kevin Smith yeah. type of humor. So if he's allowed to have his stuff up there, then I don't see why you know our guy shouldn't be able to. I know, right? But who knows? Well, maybe we'll never know. But anyways, uh, you can go out to iTunes. You can type in Danger Room under the podcast search. You'll find us right there. You can subscribe there. You could leave us a uh, you could leave us a five-star review. You could leave us uh, some words of encouragement. However, you want to proceed with that. Uh, or you can email us at dangerroom@redcapproductions.com or you can call us and leave us a message. That's 501 get X-Men. Jeremy, I just had a thought. Maybe it was Kevin Smith. <gasps> Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make my day if Kevin Smith decided to leave our podcast some feedback. That would never happen, though. <laughs> well, if that's the case, he should really leave a message on our phone. <laughs> That'd be even 501-GET-X-Men. Kevin, if you're out there, please leave us a message. <laughs> In fact, anybody famous out there, leave us a message. Do one of those promos where you say, I am so-and-so, and I endorse this podcast. Actually, even if you're not famous, you should just do that. Yeah, actually, that's a great idea. <laughs> we should have all our listeners just call up and say, Hi, I'm 
so-and-so, and I think the podcast is nifty. Yes. There you go. The gauntlet has been dropped. The challenge has been presented. Pick up your phones. Dial 501 Get X Men. Say and sound off, true believers. Excelsior. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's flip over to classic X Men number thirty three uh, from May of nineteen eighty nine. I think. Yes, and on sale January thirty first of nineteen eighty nine. The story that we will be reading is called "So Good It Hurts" by Annocenti and uh, John Bolton, lettered by Joe Rosen and colored by Glynis Ween. The same team as last month. The cover features uh, the cover features a Steve Lytle cover of Cyclops punching the crap out of Wolverine. Yeah, There's, it's a good cover. It's actually not bad. It's um, uh, it has a kind of a like a I don't want to call it a bullseye, but it's got like a what would you call that background? I don't know. The word rotoscoping comes to mind. I don't know what that means. I don't think that's accurate because I think rotoscoping is the act of moving a light in video so that it matches the object that it's supposed to be tracking with. Oh, yeah. You, that sounds <laughs> – you, you sound like you pretty much know what that means. So <laughs> That's the way I understand it. But this is like – like it's it's not like a, a swirl, whatever. It's it looks like It looks like a reflector, like a red reflector. But then there's a blue shadow of – what probably is Proteus in the background behind them. Somebody had one of those cool, like, uh, pyramid tools with the point on one end and you put the pencil on the other end and it forms like a an angle. A compass. Is that what those are called? I think so. With with the, oh, p- the pin and the but pen. But a compass you... helps you find north. Oh, well, there's there's the compass that's got a pencil and then a pin, and then you can extend the angle of the pencil and the pin. And then oh, you can draw a radius. All right. Well, I guess that's what this is then. That's what this reminds me of anyway. Okay. Wow. We're really bad at describing things. I'm, I am I have a sh- crappy memory. <laughs> <laughs> like every time I need a word, it just disappears. Like if, if I was ever create a drinking game of my life, that would be one of the things. Drink, have a drink every time Adam can't think of the word he wants. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a subjective because you'd be like, yeah, just keep drinking. I still can't think of the word. <laughs> Are you serious, Adam? All right. Well, anyways, the inside cover is uh, interesting. It's basically a montage, almost, of all of the people he's taken over, except for some reason uh, Madrox is in there. Well, he took over Madrox. Oh, that's right. He did. He, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm not sure who the skeleton is supposed to be, though, because he's got skeleton ribs and there's a skull at his feet. Didn't he leave... Um, Angus McWhorter, a skeleton? Okay, maybe. Maybe. I, I, no, I thought he was a body, but... Okay, I don't remember either. Whatevs. Okay. So that's what it is. Uh, I like it. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a neat idea. Yeah. And that's also done by Steve Lytle. Let's get right into this, though. It's uh, This is a story featuring Havoc and Polaris. Thank goodness somebody remembered Polaris and Havoc. Do you think Anasendi was reading this issue and was like, there's Havoc and Polaris again, but they haven't said anything. If I ever get the opportunity to do a backup story, it's going to be to cover the material that they didn't get to say in this issue. And so she did it poorly. Because I got to be honest, I don't know what is going on in this issue at all. I read this last night before I went to bed, and I honestly don't remember any of it. Did you have have nightmares? No. 
All right, so I slept very well, thank you. Oh, so what it is, Havoc and and uh, Polaris. So Havoc's in his Havoc costume. Polaris is in her Lorderdane costume, and they're in a jeep. But the jeep has like reality is bending around it. It's all like I don't know, alive essentially. The back is a jeep, and the front part is like spikes or something coming at them. And there's kind of like this alternating dialogue of what's really happening, and then like what's what's not really happening this is like Anacenti really wanting to write some poetry but it not turning out very good uh or maybe purple prose or something like that right the first time i saw you i could hardly tear my eyes away headlights lock the rest of the world dropped away as if it never was blinding light you changed the course of my life steering loss <laughs> right so it's kind of like the yellow is that that prose or whatever the love portion and then the dark orange is like what's really happening what's really happening is a car crash yes and so it goes on like that the next panel is uh have a kind of shattering into pieces lorna well, no, i think that's the the frame of the car oh and Havoc smashes his head into it i think you're right okay so i don't know if that happens for real or not but then the next panel is Lorna and him kind of entwined together, getting ready to kiss. Well, presumably she's raising him out of the car crashed with her cool metallic powers. You would think so, but then you go to the next panel and you're back in reality where Havoc has just run into the ditch and everything's okay. Right. Okay, I remember part. Yeah, part of the premise of the story is that Havoc keeps having these, keeps drifting off into this, like, other world of the of of the bad prose right so, so it's havoc that's thinking all these thoughts about oh i love you you're really cool so lorna's like what's going on you just drove off the road and havoc's like oh i must have fallen asleep and she's like no, no your eyes are wide open i yelled at you but you were a million miles away i can't believe this happened you could have killed us havoc's all like well, i don't know what happened so this is actually in context is happening while Nightcrawler and Wolverine are fighting Proteus. Right. Right about that time, anyways, before they convene and have Coco and fight. Right. Uh, and Havoc goes on, like, well, lately, sometimes when I'm driving, all I can think of how, is how fast we're going and how easy it would be to just smash. I start smash. <laughs> I started having these feelings around when I first met you. Driving is like being in one of those particle accelerators because we all know what that feels like. <laughs> like we're rushing towards something and the smash is inevitable i don't get it but i just flash in the worst possible smash oh hulk <laughs> stop smashing <laughs> lorna lifts the car out of the ditch with her magnetic powers and then they fly away and she says i'll drive and but they fly and I don't know where they're flying to oh i guess it doesn't really matter because what we learn is that this whole flying thing that they're doing is Havoc just drifting into this other dream world right. or whatever? From here on, we're in another Havoc dream. We don't realize it yet until Lorna decides to eat Havoc's face. Yes. So she smashes into his face. It kind of shatters a little bit. And then they become two bodies that are one with no head. So basically they're two butts. And then they hit the ground and they smash into pieces. Man, this is gory. <laughs> And that's when we go back to the real world again, and Lorna apparently was flying them a little bit. And she says, Havoc, it happened again. You went away. And Havoc's all like, but you're alive. And he's so happy. 
and then he says he thinks he's beginning to understand. It's only since I began realizing how much I love you. Maybe that smash I fear is the end of love, confused with the violence of the end of our lives. I mean, why risk it? Maybe people in love don't make good soldiers. We're so happy, why risk losing it all? I don't want to be an X-Man! I don't care, and he shoots some rocks, and if we stay, X-Men will end up shattered. I don't want us to end in tears. And then they see some black clouds in the distance, and they, that's Storm fighting Proteus, so they, for some reason, Lorna lets Havoc drive. <laughs> they get back in the Jeep, and Lorna's I'm like... Sure I would do that. <laughs> Lorna's like, are you okay? Can you drive? Havoc's like, uh, I'll concentrate so that I, I don't, and then... He drifts away into a panel of a whole bunch of bodies falling everywhere. Faceless, uh, featureless bodies. But then he immediately zaps himself back into reality. No, I can control myself. I'm not afraid. I'm an X-Man. And then we hear pow, kapow, and that's probably Moira shooting at Proteus. And then they catch up with the others. We basically get a different perspective of a panel we saw in the issue. Right. And that's when we get to the Coco area, and instead of the story just ending, we keep going for some reason. I guess Innocenti really wanted to write a weak Wolverine, because Havoc gets out and says, Wolverine, are you? And Wolverine looks at him with his face of complete and utter fear and sweat and says, What I... What? Havoc is like, oh, he flinched at my touch. So raw, so shell-shocked. What has he been through? Has he seen the inevitable? The thing I fear? I'll... No, not me. I won't see that horror ever. I am no X-Man. I won't fight that last bottle. I want out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm going to be... I'm really curious what the future of... I mean, I know that eventually Polaris and Havoc fade from the pages of the X-Men and they'll return but I'm just curious if if she's writing I don't I don't I don't get it. A lot of the times these stories try to tie in what's with what's currently happening in X-Men continuity, but I think while this story is being written, the the uh, Inferno storyline is going on and that features Havoc prominently and a little bit of Polaris if I recall correctly. It's the Madeline Pryor storyline, right? Doesn't yeah. Havoc isn't Havoc in love with Madeline Pryor at this point? Yeah. Spoilers? He, and he's, well, <laughs> we're in the spoilers section. Everybody knows that. And he's possessed to, to be in love with, with Madeline, and, and, and Lorna is wearing some amulet that makes her malice, so she's evil against her will. So I, it doesn't tie in with that. So I'm wondering, like, in the next issue, do they just disappear? Because <laughs> uh, more spoilers, I looked ahead, and, and Havoc and Polaris are in the next issue. But oh, okay. I, I mean, in the first couple of pages, I don't know if they just disappear and never come back. But I just don't understand the concept or premise behind that story. Well, I will be sure to keep track of what happens to Havoc and Polaris in comics outside of the X-Men, if need be. Speaking of which, have you done any outside reading, Adam? Wow, what a great segue. <laughs> We're good at this. <laughs> uh, I have. I read Daredevil... 155 through 157, which features uh, Beast and Avengers cameos. Uh, trying to summarize this quickly, the the interesting, basically, the story is uh, Daredevil is being stalked by this character named the Death Stalker and discovers that Black Widow 
is in town and goes to investigate, but he's having these weird headaches, which makes him evil. He ends up in the hospital with the Avengers watching over him. And um, I, it leaves off with, he goes, he, he decides not to be with Black Widow, even though she wants to get back together with him, even though she's dating Hercules at the time. Uh-huh. And um, Hercules storms out. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, he goes to make, uh, Daredevil goes to make up with his girlfriend and at the office, his girlfriend and Black Widow both show up to go out on a date with him. And it's like, uh-oh. And then the Animen attack. <gasps> the Animen? Again, they they finished. They, they apparently, last episode, when I was talking about the Animen attacking Iron Man and leaving off with that cliffhanger, apparently Iron Man saw them all die. Okay. But now they're back and they have these weird, like, uh, things, like, corpse animated boxes attached to them wow so somehow they're being animated anyway daredevil 157 leaves off with another cliffhanger featuring the animen attacking so the, the marvel universe just can't get enough of the animen yeah spoilers i i kind of i get the neck the daredevil 158 is the first uh daredevil drawn by frank miller so i checked it out and uh, most of the animen die again. <laughs> it's Frank Miller like, I don't want to do these, so <laughs> dead. Maybe. Maybe he was like, I had to take over from this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really like the concept of Daredevil, but I don't know what you guys have done with this. <laughs> Actually, Mary Jo Duffy is writing at this point. Oh, okay. Daredevil. I think she's like taken over from somebody. Okay. So I think this is a three-part Daredevil story that features three different writers. No, oh, okay. Uh, there's a mention of the champions, uh, where Colossus and or Captain America says, I can't believe the champions broke up. And Hercules says, oh, yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> and that's the end of the champions. Uh, Beast acts very goofy throughout this. He is very poorly written. He's acting really kind of crazy. Uh, he bounces around. He kisses a nurse. He looks for flowers in like a hospital and steals them from a patient to give to Black Widow. It's weird. Have you been reading any of the letters sections that correspond with the Avengers? Wow, you are leading me into these great segues. Oh, I did. Uh, I, uh, I the next issue that I did was Avengers one seventy eight, and it is by Steve Gerber, and it was such a weird issue that I skipped ahead to Avengers issue one eighty two to figure out what fan reaction was to that issue because mm-hmm. it is a it is bizarre. Um, Beast is out partying on the dance floor and some guys get really mad at him that he's like a ladies magnet so they try to beat him up but of course he's beast so he manages not to and he ends up storming out anyway and then he gets attacked by a random stranger who gives him some foreboding words that made no sense to me at all i have no idea and but somehow they they permeate really deep into the beast soul and he doesn't he goes to he goes through this like he gets really depressed okay and so he goes out on a date with some woman and he, they end up having this philosophical conversation about what it means to be an avenger a hero somebody who's uh, outside of the norm and she ends up asking him to go rescue some sort of box from her apartment that was stolen or something like that or an apartment that was stolen and it turns out this whole storyline up to this point has been a plot by the manipulator who is a villain that i'd never heard of who reminds me of a villain in howard the duck oh. which 
makes sense because this is Steve Gerber. So the manipulator is trying to show all these mob bosses his how he's able to manipulate things. And Beast does show up, and they capture him, and the mob bosses sign up, and they're like, oh, this is great. You really did a good job, manipulator. But then the uh, CIA or somebody shows up, and it turns out that he's manipulating them too, the mob bosses. So now they have some mob bosses, and um, uh, he, he makes them all dance. So Beast is dancing, and the mob bosses are dancing. But the FBI or the agents don't want to capture Beast, so... They wake him up, and the last thing he does is sing uh, All the Lonely People. Uh, what is that song, the Beatles song? Uh, where do they all come from? All yeah, the Lonely People. whatever the song is called. But he sings it with different lyrics. Professor Xavier writing the words of a sermon that no one... And then he wakes up. <laughs> wow. I that, that was funny enough to mention. That's bizarre. And then as Beast is leaving, the that guy that was approaching the Beast, the, that gave him all the crazy words that put him into a depression and a funk, uh, show up for the FBI agents. So apparently the manipulator is still manipulating. Uh, and so I was like, I read the story and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> so, uh, so I skipped ahead to a... Um, the letters page to see what fans reactions were and fans reactions were like all over the place uh they, some people really liked it some people didn't like it and then i read this letter which had this great uh quote which i want to find uh oh it was like you know this, it was an steve gerber was really cool but this story wasn't really that great the beast is really cool but this story didn't really work that well uh because they kind of focus on the speech pattern and, and they don't really get into the heart of who the, the beast was. And then he says, to close out his letter, he says, if Howard the Duck talked like Wolverine for an issue, would that make it a good story? <laughs> I just thought that was funny. So, and then I looked down to see who wrote that letter and it was Kurt Busiek. Who's that? And I was like, whoa, he's like a comic book writer. Oh. I, I, I think he probably writes the X-Men at some point. Okay. Wow. Small world. My question, though, about the letters was, if you other than that letters section in general, I'm just curious what fans' reactions to the Beast in general are, because as you've explained the Beast throughout his run as the Avengers, it's not been stellar. I think people like generally like the the quirky, funny characteristics of of Beast. Okay, that that was the impression that I got from this letters page. Okay, but yeah, it seems like a lot of people like. Some people know how to write him, and some people don't. Okay. Because he's in those Daredevil issues. It was just, it didn't, it was weird. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else? No, no, that's, that's enough. Holy cow. I feel like I just talked for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Well, We're getting closer. Soon we'll be caught up. Oh, and that'll be an amazing day. And then we'll just have other titles that we need to weave into this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got Dazzler coming up. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Lots You're going to be reading Dazzler. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, and why would you? We haven't talked about it yet. Adam's been covering a lot of the Champions and Avengers and other X-Men antics. I uh, will be doing my duty, but from the Dazzler perspective. And not Angel's uncle Dazzler. No, no, no. <laughs> the singer Dazzler. And I am wondering how long it's going to last. <laughs> how long I'm going to be able to cover it? I think there's only 44 issues. I know, but are you going to do all of them or at some point... Because I, I can't. I don't even think I could do one of them. But I'm wondering if at some point you're going to throw up your hands and just be like, "I can't do it anymore." I'm. I don't know. I'm curious. Like I've only ever read one Dazzler comic, and that's the last issue. 
<laughs> so, and it's not like everything leads up to that last issue, but I'm I'm genuinely curious. Like, she's got to fight some villains that we hear about later on in X-Men lore, right? Yeah, I mean, they, that's they, true. That's they have true. to create, like, not a universe, but she has to have her own little niche. And I don't think it really ties too much into the X-Men, at least for a while. So I, I am genuinely curious as to what it's going to be like. It did last 44 issues, so it can't be all bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it must have had some sort of following. The funny thing is, though, and I'll just spoil this, and I'll bring it up again at issue 44 if if we get that far. Uh, I believe on the cover it says, because you demanded it, the dynamic ending of, or dynamic, dynamic final issue of Dazzler. And I was always like, that's just a weird thing to put on the last issue. It's like people hate this comic book so much that they wrote in and said, you must end this catastrophe. (laughs) I don't know. I'm sure that's not what they intended, but that's the way I always read it. Interesting. So anyways, all good things to look forward to. I just wonder, like, what are we going to do when we get to X Factor, which I know is a while away, but. I will figure it out when (sighs) we get there. All right, folks. Well, we'd have to start up a, a secondary podcast. <laughs> then, yeah, that's craziness. All right, well, then until next time, folks, the danger room is closed. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. On your life. You're only waiting for this moment. And then when X-Men comes out, we'll have to start up a third podcast. Forget about new when Astonishing comes out, a fourth one. And then when new, new, extra, special X-Men, all new, different. There's somewhere in like the early 2000s or something where they have like a ton of three-part X-Men's as well. Like there's Vampire X-Men and fairy tale X-Men and... We're gonna to have to run ten concurrent podcasts. Yeah, it's gonna be. We we'll have to do one every every day of the week. And then, and if you're gonna do one issue of Age of Apocalypse, you gotta do them all, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Blackbird singing in the dead of night.